Welcome to the GAHI Leadership Podcast. The Georgia Association of Healthcare Executives, or GAHI, is committed to the development of leadership skills, knowledge exchange, and networking opportunities. GAHI represents a broad range of healthcare executives, professionals, consultants, and students throughout the state of Georgia. GAHI's Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Vicera. Vicera offers the leading platform for hands-free clinical communication, workflow optimization, and alarm management. Vicera simplifies and improves the lives of healthcare professionals and patients while enabling hospitals to enhance quality of care and operational efficiency. All right. Well, welcome everybody to our uh, next episode of um, Gahi's uh, Georgia Association of Healthcare Executives podcast. Um, I will be your host today, Sam Bailey, and I'm joined today from uh, with Dr. Boykin Robinson. Um, and Dr. Boykin Robinson is a physician leader here um, in the Atlanta uh, area. Um, has served in many different roles, um, from being a physician to being um, a chief to starting his own company here, and currently is at Core Clinical Partners, um, working with different healthcare organizations to improve um, clinical operations uh, and efficiencies, and, and does some really exciting work. Um, so, Dr. Uh, Robson, we're really excited to have you on um, the podcast today to ask you some questions to to really dive into what does it look like um, from your experience. Um, to to lead uh, an organization, a company, a consulting group uh, with that physician background, um, and so we'll just we'll jump right in. Uh, again, thanks for for joining us today. And the first question we have really just to hear about your experience, um, the different roles you had, and then kind of what you're currently doing in your job right now. So I'll I'll uh, turn it over to you. And again, thanks for joining us this morning. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Sam, for having me. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I trained in emergency medicine at Emory um, and from there. So that, that's what got me to Atlanta in the first place. Mm-hmm. I've been here ever since. Um, and after training, I took a job in Atlanta with a small emergency. What was it? at that time a small emergency medicine group uh, working clinically? I worked about five or so years strictly clinically and then took my mm-hmm. first medical director job um, over time that director job transitioned into a larger director job and then a larger director job and you know eventually was was helping to run emergency medicine for a system at at that time the group i was working with was also growing and so mm-hmm. it was a great opportunity to grow with them um, and start move from clinical only into what I consider more administrative, right? Mm-hmm. So medical director stuff, looking at clinical quality, but still not focusing on the business side. Right. And then over time, running more and more emergency departments and starting to shift that focus to also incorporate the business side and the, mm-hmm. the business development and the the P&Ls at the end of the month and mm-hmm. understanding that the business was working while also still working clinically and still um, managing some of that uh, clinical leadership side as well. Mm -hmm. So it was really a slow progression over probably 10 years that I was moving into larger leadership roles and and leadership roles that became more and more business like, even Mm -hmm. though it was was still a clinical setting. 
right. but learning, truly learning how the, how the revenue cycle worked, um, payroll, all those things. And so in early 2018, I was running a big division for that company, but had an opportunity to jump out and start my own. Um, and so it was a terrifying leap. Uh, it went from running a big division to running one small ER in up in North Georgia in Fort Oglethorpe. Um, and so, so made that leap in 2018. Interestingly and unrelated, um, I had signed up to get my MBA starting in 2018, just <laughs> deciding that as I was doing more and more of the business side of healthcare, it made sense to have more formal education around that. Um, in 2017, I had got I had studied for and, and gotten my fellowship in ACHE. So I had learned <laughs> a little yeah. bit more of the hospital business in 2017. 2018 uh, was a great year because I was getting my MBA and starting a brand new company. So mm -hmm. that, that, that was the beginning of Core Clinical Partners. Yeah. Um, so we, we started in 2018 with that one contract. Um, we, you know, I knew I knew this would be the case, but it's really hard to grow a company from one contract. Um, mm. We bootstrapped yeah. it, right? So we didn't have private equity money or venture money. Um, and so we were marketing where we could. We were, you know, relying on my my network, um, mm -hmm. you know, trying to get the word out that there was a new company. Um, and, and the idea from the beginning was if we could really focus on process improvement, really focus on getting in there and, and fixing things. And initially we were emergency medicine only. So we were worried about, you know, ED length of stay and left without being seen, mm -hmm. price gaining scores. And the idea was if we could do really, really well on that, we could mm -hmm. grow by reference and referral because we didn't have a bunch of money to just, you know, advertise around the country mm -hmm. again. Right. So, so that was it was hard. We we grew from one contract to three in the first year, and then the second year we didn't grow at all. We were still three contracts. Um, so going into 2020, um, things were looking a little bleak. Um, you know, we we only had a few contracts. They were all very small. Um, they weren't doing quite what I wanted them to do. Um, unrelated to the pandemic, we ended up picking up some new business in like February of 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and so the challenge through and multiple challenges, just like everyone through lockdown, but we were trying to start several new contracts during lockdown and figure out how to deal with emergency medicine volumes that had been cut in half, right? Because in mm -hmm. March and April right. of 20, you know, everybody mm -hmm. thinks, oh, emergency medicine, man, that must have been a, 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 an interesting time to be in emergency medicine. Well, it was. But nobody was coming to the ER. Right, right. Yeah. Everybody was avoiding it um, as much as they could. And so we were still paying our ER docs to be there, but we didn't have any volume to, to make the revenue back. So it was, yeah. you know, that, that, that created its own challenges. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, we got through lockdown, we started the new business. And ever since then, we have been growing and growing and growing, um, mm -hmm. which has been fantastic, right? Exactly. Uh, exactly how I mapped it out. Just it took a couple of years to get to that spot mm -hmm. where we could really start growing. Um, since then, we've expanded into hospital medicine, um, and so we now do emergency and hospital medicine. We do we do a little bit of we do a little bit of telemedicine. We do a little bit of intensivist, a little bit of infectious disease, but most of our business is emergency and hospital medicine. Um, and we have continued to grow mostly through reference and referral. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we, what's been a lot of fun about building the company is building the team. Right? Mm-hmm. So initially, it was kind of me. I had a couple of people helping me uh, mm-hmm. part-time. Um, and I was really the only full-time employee that first year. Um, and we've you know, grown from, from that, from one to now 50 corporate employees. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that's been a lot of fun to build that and yeah. build it from scratch, right? Build it with the culture that I wanted and mm-hmm. hire the people that I want to hire. Um, of course, you know, as you grow a company, there are struggles with that too. And mm-hmm. I've learned a ton. Yeah. Um, right. You know, gl- glad I went through the FACHE uh, program. Glad I did the mm-hmm. MBA but I've learned so much more just experientially yeah, um, you know, in, in growing the company and scaling the company. Um, mm-hmm. So I yeah, so we're, you know, we're, we'll see uh, 700,000 visits this year, um, up, up from 20,000 when we started. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, everything has kind of grown at about the same rate, which I guess makes sense. And what we've tried kind of from the beginning, we've tried to concentrate on process improvement. And if we mm-hmm. can, we can do a really good job with clinical operations. You know, now with doing hospital medicine, it's very focused on length of stay, mm-hmm. uh, hospital length of stay. Right. And then, of course, in the ED, still focused on all the various ED throughput metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, but our company, you know, we and, and some people don't even know really what this space is, this physician services space. Right. So we we contract with hospitals to provide emergency or hospital medicine services. Mm-hmm. And what that means is we recruit the physicians and the nurse practitioners and the PAs. Um, we do all of the process improvement and trying to fix ED flow, length of stay. We work obviously very closely with hospital on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we run the uh, the pro fee revenue cycle uh, on the back end. And so, right. you know, really full, full outsourcing of those services. So, well, yeah, quite a, quite a journey. That's really cool to hear that you know you, you can't really read that online <laughs> so just right. to see all's journey as a company too and to grow from you know one employee to 50 is, is really amazing um so thanks for that i kind of want to shift next to the next question um you know in today's landscape and i'm sure you you feel this at uh, core clinical partners being in the ed being in the hospital is that uh, i'm curious i want to get your opinion on on the rapid change right now in technology in healthcare, right? From anything from medical records, starting to see this change and, you know, kind of systemization um, or consolidation from Cerner, Epic and everything across the country, but also, you know, the the introduction of kind of AI and chat GPT and all that stuff. And and from being in the EDs and the the hospitals, what do you see is going to change um, the healthcare landscape, um, maybe the most drastic in the next couple of years, um, is, is that's what everybody's kind of looking at right now. What's going to change, even though, it, you know, healthcare kind of lags a few years behind every other industry, but, um, just really curious. And that's something our listeners like to, to hear about is how is that going to change from a, a tech standpoint? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and, and my first, you stole my first comment, which was healthcare does tend to lag. Yeah. For, for a variety of reasons, right? I mean, some of that is is the is patient information, right? We in healthcare, we have to be a lot more careful than other mm-hmm. industries do, and so we can't just jump into. But it wouldn't be prudent to just jump into new technology, and there are also all sorts of compliance risk, right? Mm-hmm. And and right. Uh, so so there, the the cyber 
even just being covered for cyber insurance now is so expensive. And as you think about mm -hmm. bringing in other things and data breaches, I mean, you know, hospitals can't afford to have a data breach. And so right. the, yeah. as you bring in new technology, everyone's got to think about that risk benefit analysis. That being said, there is so much potential to improve healthcare with better technology and with AI. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly, we, we, you're right. We are starting to see it as as most, and I don't know the numbers, it seems like, feels like most hospitals have moved to Epic or Cerner or have plans to move to Epic or Cerner. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are other EHRs out there for sure, but it feels like most people are are moving to one of those two. And as we get more and more hospitals on one or two systems, then the interoperability is so much better, right? And so right. there, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's certainly, it, it's it's a big step forward in the last probably, I don't know, five to 10 years that you can actually look at the medical record of, of your patient from another hospital if you're both mm. on Epic, right? And so right. That, that that's what we all thought was gonna happen 20 years ago, it <laughs> didn't. Um, yeah. So it's still not ideal, um, you know, but as we move toward things like AI transcribing patient interactions so that you don't need to either spend a bunch of time, the doctor doesn't need to spend a bunch of time at the computer and or have a scribe. And that was one of the interesting things in emergency medicine. EMRs came in, it slowed everybody down. We couldn't mm -hmm. afford to slow down. And so this multi-billion dollar scribe industry came out of nowhere mm -hmm. just to help us deal with the EMR. Yeah, and yeah. You know, I've been saying for years, we don't, there's not enough money in healthcare to afford that extra 20, mm -hmm. 20 odd dollars an hour for yeah. every hour, every doctor's working to put a scribe with them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, you know, but that we shouldn't go back to paper. So, you know, the answer is yeah. to, to fix the technology where you don't need that. And I think we're mm -hmm. working on that. You know, first yeah. it was virtual scribes and there's been talk about transcription, but transcription wasn't great. But now AI transcription is getting better. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for AI in the more business sides of things, right? So coding, yeah. billing, chasing AR, all of that can be done, I think, uh, more efficiently with AI. But yeah. <clears throat> there are certainly some clinical implications to it. We actually uh, was on a panel, a Gahi panel, a couple months ago mm -hmm. talking about this, that I think that one great opportunity in emergency medicine will be Every patient walks in, they're handed a tablet, like you are in the doctor's office, but it doesn't yeah. happen in the ER. Mm -hmm. um, but the tablet's not just taking your basic information. It's, it's AI background is saying, you know, hey, why are you, what, why are you here? Oh, you have chest pain. Let me mm -hmm. ask you about your chest pain, right? And, yeah. and it can ask, and, and I, I, know it, I know it's almost ready because I just playing around in chat GPT mm -hmm. said, um, you know, I, I told Chat GPT, pretend you are the ER doc. I'm walking in as a patient. Ask me a series of questions um, to get to what you think my diagnosis is and what you think my treatment plan should be. Um, now, you, I had to play around a little bit to get to really do what I want, but mm -hmm. but the answers and the the its ability to take to go down in different directions was yeah. amazing, right? And, right? and and at least with a couple simple examples, it came up with. Hey, I think you probably have this. As a matter, I, I got mm -hmm. it to even give me percentages. There's a 50% chance you have unstable angina, and a 25% chance yeah, reflux. Wow. And and here's what you need. So mm -hmm. 
I feel like that tab, it could easily pivot that technology to where the tablet would do a screening of the patient, get a decent idea of what's going on, recommend a treatment plan. We're not ready to act on that, right? Yeah. right? But but right. somewhat now the, the physician or the nurse who first sees the patient could, and, oh, the other thing it can do is summarize it for you. So it takes all those, yeah. the unstructured answers and gives you a one paragraph summary of why the patient is here. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. and, and I think it's just, I think the technology could do that, but is it secure? Probably not. Right. right. So I don't think, I don't think you <laughs> yeah. can just put, put jet, chat GPT on a tablet and stick that in ER yet. Right. We've got to figure out how to make it secure. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's, you know, tens of millions of dollars going into getting oh, yeah. that ready right now. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, uh, so hopefully, you know, and I think the other, um, the other challenge, and we talked about this on the panel as well, is that AI learns from what happened before, right? So mm -hmm. the problem with that, and you think about it, like what we, what we talked about was in, on hospital, in hospital medicine, we do interdisciplinary rounds where the doctor and the pharmacist and the nurse, they're all, they all get together to talk about what day the patient's going to leave and let's get ready yeah. for it. Um, I feel like AI could have a, I mean, imagine you've probably been on those meetings, right? So, yeah, the I, I, IDPs. Yeah so, yeah, so imagine there's a smart board there, but the smart board's telling you, the smart board's pulling it up saying, this patient, based on what I know, should mm -hmm. be able to go tomorrow and, and should need home oxygen and a rod and this and that and the other. Um, there's no reason it couldn't do that, right? It can, it can know all of yeah. the information in the EHR. It could, it could know what happened millions and millions of times. The problem is, what did it learn? Did it learn a best practice? Or did it learn yeah. something, you know, maybe there's some ancillary study that the specialist who reads it never reads it till five o'clock, but they could have read it yeah. at nine to let the patient go. Right. Well, the AI is going to think, well, that study's never done until five o'clock. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. We have to make sure as we train AI in healthcare that we train it on best practices, not necessarily on what happens day to day. Yeah, I totally agree. That's that's super insightful and it'll... It'll be interesting to, to see how it changes uh, the landscape uh, going forward. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that kind of takes us into the next question uh, in dealing with the clinical operations and kind of streamlining efficiency there. Uh, what are challenges um, that you see from organization to organization, both both in ED and hospital operations? Uh, what are those those trends and challenges you see? Um, yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the biggest challenge right now is staffing, right? Not, not physician staffing. Now, we, we do have a, a shortage of overall physicians coming. Um, whether or not that's, uh, whether or not we have that shortage in emergency medicine is hotly debated right now. But, yeah. but there's a shortage of nurses and other ancillary staff. And so that is a real challenge. And, and it's across the board, right? Every hospital that I go to, the, the docs say, you wouldn't believe it. We, we're boarding patients and mm -hmm. we're short nurses and the nurses are all new and mm -hmm. and i said no i would believe it because it's the case across <laughs> right. the board yeah. um and so i think that the obviously one challenge is fixing that right so how do we fix that over time and that's that's I, i'm sure there are lots of hospital boardrooms trying to figure that out right mm -hmm. whether it's and i've seen some possible examples, virtual nursing, where some, some things you do as a nurse could be done virtually, and some nurses mm -hmm. who have left the workforce probably would work from home. And so, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. is it virtual nursing? Is it um, changing skill mix and having more 
you know, LPNs or paramedics doing things. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to the hospital folks. Yeah. What we then concentrate on is what can we do in the meantime? And so one of the things that I make sure to tell our clinical operations folks, because we have some really smart RN, MBA, lean expert guys who mm-hmm. go in and, um, and, and look at ED flow or, or length mm-hmm. of stay and how can we, yeah. what can we do to fix it? But one of the things we make sure of is don't just say in a perfect world on a perfect day, mm-hmm. we're going to do this yeah. because tomorrow when we, when we're short two nurses, that plan's not going to work. Right. Or right now we only have 10 holds in our 40 bed ER, but mm-hmm. tomorrow we might have 35. And so let's make sure we have a plan for that. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in emergency medicine, what that means usually is the plan is pull the care further and further out, right? It used to be we wait for a patient to get to a bed, they've been assigned a nurse, they've mm-hmm. been triaged, and then the ER doc goes to see them. Yeah. That just can't be the case anymore, right? <laughs> We've got to get out in front. We've got to get out to the waiting room yeah. because it doesn't, it, if we're short other staff, we can't let that affect the patient being seen as as quickly and efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got to set up the process to do it. You don't want it to be chaos, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. but you want to set up the process where we, and you know, we, in many of our ERs, we are seeing patients, not in the waiting room, but pulling them from the waiting room into somewhere private to see them, getting their blood drawn, getting their x-rays started. Um, possible sometimes, and I, and I hate when this happens, but sometimes all that comes back, still no bed because we're boarding. <laughs> And we don't yeah. have any rooms to work out of, mm-hmm. and then they'll they're discharged and may, yes. maybe never step foot in an actual, you know, emergency department room. But that's okay. We got all of their right. work done. We did yeah. it privately, um, and and we did it as efficiently as we could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's very very insightful. Um, so, our last question, uh, you know, being yourself almost transitioning or using that background in medicine, um, working in ER medicine for a while and transitioning more to the administrative side, right? Starting your own company. Um, we have people, you know, in Gahi that are interested in doing just that or or sometimes the opposite of, right? They're coming from administration that they, they want to learn um, the clinical flow and they want to be able to work with those physicians. So first, can you speak to, you know, what what is, what did that really look like coming from a clinical background, starting your own company, having to running, you know, running the books, et cetera. Uh, and just kind of any general advice from our listeners that are saying, you know, I'm, I work in maybe emergency medicine or another specialty, um, but I'd like to, you know, be a CEO one day. Um, and, and then maybe speak to the, you know, the business folks and, and how to, to better work with those clinicians, um, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, health healthcare needs lots of smart people in it, regardless of their background, right? And so, you know, certainly with our within our company, we have people with clinical backgrounds who learned something, who, who learned some amount of business, right? We have some people with clinical backgrounds, and that's what I want them to do, right? I want them right. to, for instance, the um, the team that the clinical ops team that goes in and fixes flow. I don't need them to understand a, a, a profit and loss statement, right? I, I need them right. to really yeah. understand lean at a high level and, and how to fix things. And then I've got, you know, a, a CFO and a controller who don't need to understand yeah, anything right. about. Um, so so there, there are pieces of the company that don't need to know both. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But you're right. When you look around um, Gahi and you look at, you have, you have clinicians looking to learn more about the business side. Mm -hmm. And I would say they need to learn more about the business side. They shouldn't ever assume they've got it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people, people ask me often about, especially when I was just finishing my MBA, you know, what did I learn? And I say, well, mm -hmm. it's, there's certainly things I can say. I got, I was pretty good at Excel. I had yeah. no idea what all Excel could do, right? It's <laughs> the most amazing yeah. program on the planet. Right. Um, something more can always be done. Um, and so, you know, I learned a, a lot about looking at, at P&L statements and, and larger company things. But I think that the biggest thing that it taught me was just how to have a fluid conversation about business, right? Mm -hmm. So now if I'm talking to a banker or, um, or, or a hospital executive, hospital CFO, um, my conversation is just a lot more fluid because I spent time learning that language. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important on both sides. So nobody expects the non-clinician to have a super deep understanding of the clinical, of, of what happens clinically, right? They can't, mm -hmm. they didn't go to school yeah. for that. Right. And I think uh, on, on the same side, a, a physician or a nurse looking to, um, to, to go more into hospital management, no one expects, no one expects them to go become the CFO, right? right? Because yeah. that is, it's a diff, completely different skill set yeah. and a completely different side. But the, the clinician who wants to help run a hospital or run a hospital or yeah. start a company, mm -hmm. they need to be completely fluent in the language of business, yeah. right? They, they just they, they need to know all the terms. They need to know what they what they mean. They need to mm -hmm. understand how how all of that plays. And on the same side, unless you're a CFO in in medicine, you need to understand the language of the clinical people. You need mm -hmm. to not you need to yeah. you need to, to not constantly be lost when they're talking at a high level about disease yeah. process. You shouldn't understand super deep. And so, you know, I, I think. It's uh, and and there certainly are you know people out there who understand both at a at a pretty deep level and, and that's great. Um, yeah, I, I think that that yeah. that gives um, there's there's no there's no reason we can't know both at a deep level, but but I don't think that it's necessary. But what is necessary is making sure you truly understand the language. I think that a a non a non clinician who who every time clinical stuff comes up, kind of puts their hands up, is not going to have the same right. career yeah. career trajectory, honestly. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the same, a clinician who every time something, you know, deeper business stuff comes up, says, oh, well, that's not really my wheelhouse. Again, yeah. can't have that same career trajectory. You've got to be able okay. to, to understand both. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's that's uh, that's so true. Uh and uh, it, at the end of the day, you need to be able to do your job, whatever that entails. Right. Uh, well, right, whatever the job description yeah, is. And so, I, I think uh, that we, we, we talk a lot in healthcare. I, the dyad model is great, right? And I, I, we have some dyad models within our company and work with a lot of uh, dyads. But I don't want, the only thing that worries me about talking about dyad models is I don't want people to think, oh, well, I'm the clinical part of the dyad, so I don't need to understand the business and mm. or and or the non-clinical person saying, well, I don't. They both need to understand at some level what the other one is doing. And then yeah. then you can have a really functional dyad. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, hey, Dr. Robson, I appreciate uh, you, you coming on here and giving us some of your time. We know you're a very busy man <laughs> running running a successful company. And um, that's all the questions we have for you today. And, and again, very insightful and uh, really exciting to kind of get a picture into what y'all are doing over there and, and um, the amazing work you're doing for all the hospitals um, all over the country. So, um, again, appreciate uh, your time. And uh, I know the listeners will enjoy this segment. So thank you. Thanks very much for having me, Sam. This has been the Gahi Leadership Podcast. For more information, find us online at gahi.org.